Welcome back, everyone, to the Chaos Ball Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. It is April 16th, 2023, as I am recording, right after the Mariners completed the sweep of the Cubs. And your aforementioned Seattle Mariners are 500. They're a 500 ball club, 8-8 eight and eight now, uh, about three weeks into the season, and they're 500. So this is the baseline. Playing some better baseball recently, but this is uh, more what we've come to, to expect from this team, I guess. But now we sit at 500, and the season can really begin. You know, the, the, the slide was was tough to start the year, but now it's... It's, it's, you know, it's like when, uh, an announcer says, oh, it's, it's zero, zero again when they, when they, some team ties the game late in the year, the Mariners are, you know, they're rolling out. They got no wins on the season, no losses. They can officially start the year now, uh, after an extended spring training into the middle of April, finally begin the MLB season, but good to see from them. Heavy, heavy, heavy Mariners episode today, but can't forget about the baseball reference part of the week. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Let's start. As you remember, last week's baseball reference part of the week was Old Hoss Radborn. If you did not listen to me talk about Old Hoss Radborn for about 10 minutes last week, I recommend you go do so or, you know, study up yourself. Uh, this week's baseball reference part of the week, this is in honor of the NBA playoffs kicking off a few days ago. And this particular baseball player made the switch uh, from baseball to basketball, and it was probably the right choice, the right career move. Uh, This baseball player, his name is Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge, for any NBA fans, you know him as an executive in the NBA, has been for quite a long time. The man absolutely loves first-round picks, loves hoarding first-round picks. Uh, Working with the Jazz right now, went to BYU. I mean, he's probably going to stay with the Jazz forever. But Danny Ainge had an, nah, I was going to say had an illustrious baseball career. That's not true. He had a baseball career. Uh, Danny Ainge's career numbers, negative two war in 665 at bats, 220 batting average, 264 on base percentage, 269 slugging, 12 stolen bases, uh, two home runs, a career 47 OPS plus, so... Not a great baseball player, to be quite honest. He only played for three years, uh, and he amassed, you know, that was around one full season of stats in three years, from 79 to 81. Um, his baseball career is was short and sweet. Uh, he, he selected in the draft in 1977 by the Blue Jays, uh, got up to the bigs in 79 while he was still in college. And while I presume he was still in college and playing basketball for BYU, because I know he he played basketball at BYU when he was a um, when he was in college, I think he started out at BYU and he was in in seventy look seventy eight seventy eight seventy eight seventy nine was his freshman year, so he was playing professional baseball while uh, in college playing basketball as well, which that coincides pretty nicely the seasons don't really overlap much for college uh which is good uh honestly kind of crazy that Danny Ainge is a two-sport player but baseball and basketball is not something you see very often not a whole lot of overlap there in terms of those particular sports but so he came up with the Blue Jays in 1979 he played a lot of second base he 
Moved all over the diamond, though. He's a utility man. He played second base. He played a little third. Played some corner outfield. Um, you know, <laughs> not much else to say about his baseball career. He had t- I mean, he had 220. Uh, his two home runs, you know, in 211 games, not a huge power threat. More of a utility speed guy, clearly. Uh, but one cool thing is he is the second youngest player in Blue Jays history to hit a home run. He was the youngest at 20 years and 77 days, only to be surpassed a few years ago by Vlad Guerrero Jr. So Danny Ainge was a record holder for the Blue Jays up until Vlad Guerrero Jr. came around, and now he's merely second in that list. Uh, But three years of the Blue Jays, Ainge decided to pursue a career in basketball and was chosen in the 1981 draft by the Boston Celtics, who had to buy out Ainge's contract from the Blue Jays after a legal battle. Uh, yeah, so that really, that's it. That is it for, uh, uh, freaking Danny Ainge, man. I just, I wanted to honor the NBA this week. Uh, and Danny Ainge has a baseball reference page with a, with a photo too. Sometimes random guys don't have photos, but he has a photo. You can go see what a young, young Danny Ainge looks like in a Blue Jays hat on baseball reference. Uh, and then on the Wikipedia, it also lists, um, the 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 players who have played both in the NBA and in the MLB it's a very short list only 13 athletes have done both and i'm going to read these names to you frank baumholtz hank biasidi biasadi gene conley chuck connors dave debusher dave debusher is a great all-time nick actually if i recall mm, great is a strong word but he uh, he was a great Great Nick, we'll say. Uh, Steve Hamilton, Mark Hendrickson, Cotton Nash, Ron Reed, Dick Ricketts, Howie Schultz, and my personal favorite, Dick Grote. Uh, he, Dick Grote was, you know, maybe I'll do him as my one of my players of the week, but he was actually um, good, pretty damn good at both sports uh, as compared to Danny Ainge, who was really not a very good baseball player. But that was the baseball reference part of the week. Shout out to Danny Ainge, uh, giving some NBA love for my best reference player of the week this week. So Danny Ainge, all-time Blue Jay. And if you ever need uh, an interesting fact of youngest, second youngest player to hit a home run in a Blue Jays uniform, uh, Danny Ainge is the answer to that trivia question. So let's move on to the chaos moment of the week. Before I really get into how the Seattle Mariners have been doing the chaos moment of the week, I'll do a Mariners one and an MLB one. The MLB one, uh, Cleveland Guardians versus the New York Yankees a few days ago, I believe it was on the 12th of April, uh, playing some baseball in Cleveland. And there was a, a relay that happened from the outfield to uh, Andres Jimenez in short right center, covering where he should be as a second baseman, gets the ball, is is trying to throw the ball home, rifles it, just absolutely domes the umpire standing right in the way um he actually the umpire did actually have to go to the hospital and get some some scans done but i have done my due diligence and it seems like he's gonna be a-okay so we can laugh about it it really he he got right back up too like he got hit in the head with a very hard thrown baseball like it looked like it hit him like in the temple which is ow or like right above the ear just ouch god uh, he got right back up, and then they were like, "Oh, you should, you should probably go to the hospital, bud, because 
he's not the youngest umpire this guy but shout out to to him tanked the hit went to the hospital he's fine that was pretty pretty chaotic moment and ruined the the relay and had to pause the game for a little bit but the mariners chaos moment of the week came uh in chicago and it's it's more of a it's an extended moment. I'm just going to go the first three innings of the Seattle Mariners versus the Chicago Cubs in which Chris Flexen started this game versus Hayden Westnecki. Started off in the first, great. Got a couple runs, piled more on in the second, was up 7-0. Gave up one in the bottom of the second. So, you know, 7-1 going into the third. And then by the end of the third inning, it was 9-7. to um, an absolutely epic collapse in one inning by, by, I, I mean, Chris Flexen and, uh, a little bit Trevor got, I guess, but Flexen got all of the earned runs, uh, eight earned runs in one inning, uh, oh, seven, actually seven. He got eight total, but seven in that inning only Trevor got, got an earned run in that inning as well. Uh, but that is my Mariners chaos moment of the week. Like, what was that? The first three innings was it was like the most random ass three innings I've ever seen because the game before that, the game on Monday, that was the Tuesday game last week. Uh, the game before that was very um, it was low scoring, and up until this point, it was like it's cold in Chicago. Can we score runs? And then the vibes are fantastic going into the third. It was like, oh, man, this is going to be a great game. Flexing, going to give us a solid outing. Nope. Eight-run spot in the second inning. Never recovered. We don't have to lose that game. That was a tough one. That was a, that was a very tough loss. Uh, but that was a pretty that was pretty chaotic. They, there were a couple others this week, but that was the one. I picked those first three innings for a good reason. It was, it was 7-0 to 9-7, and... Uh, the blink, a blink of an eye, really, kind of a fever dream of an inning. Uh, but that is that, and now really, and what I'm thinking, I'm going to title this episode is just Jared Kelnick. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna talk about Jared Kelnick now. Um, but the Mariners, as I said, they swept the Cubs. Um, great start to the homestand with a sweep. Obviously, it's a pretty long homestand. They have a. a a rest, I believe, tomorrow. No, no rest. They have a no game on Thursday, but they the Brewers come to town, and then the Cardinals come to town. So two NL Central opponents, uh, two good teams. The Cardinals haven't been playing as well to start the year, but they're a very good team. And the Brewers are, are playing fantastic right now. One of the better teams uh, to start the year this year in the in Major League Baseball. Uh, so it's good, good sweep of the Rockies. That was needed. They needed to do that. I think after dropping two to the Cubs um, and being, you know, three games under 500, you come back with a home stand to, and starting it with one of the worst teams in the league in the Rockies, and you handle business and you sweep them. So that's fantastic, especially going into this this next stretch of the schedule. I know I said Jared Kelnick a few minutes ago, but now I'm just talking about the Mariners. Um, the stretch of the schedule right now. Uh, they have Brewers, then Cardinals, then they go on the road to the Phillies and Blue Jays to end April. That is a pretty tough, tough schedule for this month of April. 
Uh, it gets a little bit better next month. They start out next month going to the A's. Doing a little divisional round, going to the A's and then Astros Rangers. But uh, huge sweep against the Rockies just for confidence, for vibe, just to get back to 500 before, before playing for um, four contenders, to be quite honest. I mean, the Mariners are also considered a contender at this point, playoff contender, but Brewers, Cardinals, Phillies, Blue Jays, that is a gauntlet. So uh, good to start that at 500, I guess, and we'll see how the Mariners do. But this past week has been the week of Jared Kelnick. Uh, there's no dancing around it. Uh, the national media has now started talking about him and what he's doing. Uh, he's been trending on Twitter basically every Mariners game for good reason. He has a 10-game hitting streak right now. He's just been hitting the piss out of the ball. Um, just what what a performance seeks past this past week in particular, but 10-game hitting streak is nothing to, to bat an eye at. The only thing, and I'm going to say the only negative, well, there's a couple, but the only downer move I'm going to do in this episode about Jared Kelnick right now is it's been like 50 plate appearances. And so I've talked about this feels like ad nauseum at this point but the sample size is still so small it's like we still gotta take this with a grain of salt a little bit um but at the same time it's not like we've ever seen Jared Kelnick have a stretch like this uh we've seen him have stretches where he's a, a decent to good ball player we've seen a couple of those stretches as these past couple years where flashes you could say where it's like oh man this guy looks like a real baseball player um, for a week or two, and then goes back to being the worst baseball player on the planet. That is what we've seen these past few years. And this year, you know, started out not super hot, had a good spring training, but now is having a streak of 10 games where he is, I mean, even just his stats to start the year are absolutely insane. Like right now he's hitting uh, 356, uh, 408 on base percentage, 733 slugging. That's good for a 1,141 OPS, 214 OPS plus. He has like a 230 WRC plus right now. I mean, an absolutely blistering start to the year. Uh, so even in the small sample, we've seen him put up decent small samples. Again, where he looks like a decent baseball player. We've never seen him put up a sample size of 50 play appearances where he's a top five hitter in the league, maybe. Uh, we've never seen this from him, and that is insanely, insanely encouraging. Um, he's, he's, he's benefited a little bit from the new shift rules, too, which is which is cool. But that was my one preface to, to everything I'm about to say, is the 50-play appearances is still a very small sample. But again, we've never even seen him put up numbers like this in this small of a sample before. So it's like, okay, well, that's good. That's good stuff. Let's let's get into it. What I mean, what has he been doing? Uh, he he has just been hitting the cover off the ball. I mean, he had four straight games with a home run. He hit three home runs in Chicago back to back to back games. Uh, the first one, slider lowing in, hung a slider, absolute moonshot to right field off the scoreboard, hit that really hard. Um, his second one, a fastball, you know, low and away, it caught a little bit too much of the plate, but he muscles that out to left center. And then the third one is potentially the... It was the longest home run ever recorded by StatCast at 
um, Wrigley. So in StatCast, I think they started measuring data in 2014. So the past almost decade, longest home run at Wrigley, which is pretty insane. Um, the Chicago Cubs announcers said uh, that they've never seen a ball hit up there. And I tweeted that because I've watched a lot of games at Wrigley and um, I've never seen any highlights, anyone live hit a ball up there uh, to like the third deck in center field. Actually insane. Uh, I think it was 111, almost 112 off the bat, 482 feet, which is just an absolutely absurd home run. Um, he has the second longest home run in the majors right now, only to Giancarlo Stanton in terms of distance. Uh, that I that home run was insane. The first two were were awesome. The first two were uh, expressing like the first one was like, okay, he can do that. We've seen him do that. He takes a pitch that's kind of in a wheelhouse for a left, and he cranks it to right field. We've seen him do that before. We've never, we hadn't really seen him take a fastball to left center as deep as he did on that second home run, and then he, he and then he hit a ball where no one else has hit it in Wrigley before, in center field, like just ramping up, increasing difficulties of home runs. Uh, the dude is so strong. I mean, we knew this, but he's just putting it on display this year more. He's just hitting the ball more and barreling the ball more, and when he barrels a ball. It is a thing of beauty. He is insanely strong. Like it's crazy how hard he can hit the baseball. Uh, but then he comes. Then 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 he comes home for this homestand. Hits a home run versus the Rockies as well. Uh, has been playing great defense. He had um, the only RBI and the game-saving diving catch in right field today to basically win the ball game versus the Rockies. One zero. Uh, he has been somewhat putting the offense on his back this week. I mean, the offense has come alive more than what we saw in the first couple weeks, but he's been the best offensive player. It's been insane to watch. Um, He, as I said, he has the second longest home run by StatCast this year. Um, He has uh, sixth. He's sixth overall in the league in slugging. He is fourth in expected slugging. He's just, he's just lighting the world on fire right now. It is insane. I mean, he is in the top 9% of the league in average exit velocity, uh, top 6% of the league in expected batting average, top 1% in the expected slugging, top 2% in Wobo, which is weighted on base average. Stackcasts, a uh, very cool version. Not It's not a version of on base percentage, but it's on base average So and weighted. So it's it's you know tells you a good amount of how much a guy gets on base. Um, top 4% in hard hit percentage. I mean, he's just, he's just hitting the ball so well. Uh, and what's really encouraging is the, the three home runs in Chicago, for example, those were all, they weren't meatballs really. I mean, the sl- the hanging slider on the first one kind of was, especially to a lefty, if you kind of put it mm, not middle of the plate, but low and in touching a little bit too much to plate. That's kind of the wheelhouse. And then the other fastballs he hit, the two other ones, I mean, again, they weren't right down the middle, but they they were fastballs that were touching a lot of the plate. Fastballs that a hitter should capitalize on. And that's what he's doing. Uh, If anyone would try to say, and I've only seen like a tweet about this, no one's actually saying this, but I know people think it. It's like, and people have this thought about like Aaron Judge, for example. 
where it's like, oh, all the hard hits he's getting, all the home runs he's getting are, are bad pitches. And it's like, yeah, that that is that is the point. That is good. Uh, if like Aaron Judge is uh, last year and the past few years and this season so far has been the best guy at punishing uh, pitches that are touching a lot of the plate, bad pitches like meatballs. Um, he's the best at punishing pitchers for putting a fastball right down the middle. That's what you're supposed to do. That is half of being a major league hitter. So seeing Kelnick fight off pitches, lay off bad pitches, uh, and wait for a ball that's in the middle of the plate that he can do some damage on, and then he actually does do big damage on those pitches is so important in surviving in uh, MLB. It is pivotal that you are able to punish pitchers for bad pitches. Uh, And if that's what he does throughout his career then that's fantastic like pitchers will make mistakes and it seems like he is at least to start the year uh capitalizing on that more than ever um but it's everything everything i talked about last week a little bit it's everything he did in the offseason clearly to um just improve i mean obviously there's mechanical changes but we haven't we've seen so many quote mechanical changes from him these past two years like he his swing has changed week to week it feels like like the past two seasons and now put in a lot of work in the offseason the swing looks so good uh, I think honestly the the pitch recognition looks better than the swing and I'm no swing expert but clearly he his pitch recognition is so much better there's so many breaking balls that he is laying off that are out of the zone that would have he would have swung right through last year I think that was the main thing he needed to address this offseason in order to last all year up in the bigs is his weakness uh, was breaking balls. He couldn't really hit him in the zone, and if you put it out of the zone, like a decently located breaking ball that starts in the zone out of the zone, you know, 75% of the time he's going to swing right through that thing. And this year... He's spitting on bad pitches. He's getting in good counts. He's working three, two deep counts. He's waiting for the pitcher to put one down the middle of the plate, and he's swinging at it. And he's he's hitting the ball really hard when he hits the ball. Uh, it's it's a simple approach, really. Wait for the pitcher to throw a bad pitch and hit the ball really hard when he does that. Surprisingly, you know, more people don't employ that strategy, but he's doing it. He's doing it real well. Uh, it's what a pleasure it's been to watch him these, this, to start the year, just been a bright spot. Uh, been really weird to see him have amazing games and Julio cannot seem to have an amazing game while Jerry Kelnick does, uh, law of the universe. Only one of them can have a great game. Uh, the other one has to have a, a bad day at the plate. Um, but then a couple more, a couple more numbers to throw at you. So this year, uh, Kelnick his like swing percentage of stuff in the zone hasn't changed too much, um, but his chase rate is down. His chase contact percentage is up a little bit, so he is he is hitting the ball a little bit more when he chases, and he's chasing less. Uh, he's swinging less at the first pitch this season, so he's he's wanting to at least see a little bit more pitches right out of the gate. Uh, but the two big ones. Well, the the one big one, chase rate being down around 6% so far is great. But then the other one is the zone contact, contact percentage is up 8%. So he's hitting the ball more when pitches are in the zone and he's swinging. 
Uh, and again, uh, when he barrels a ball, he's one of the strongest dudes in the league. I mean, it takes insane strength to do, obviously put a ball 484 to dead center in Wrigley, but that second home run uh, in Chicago where he takes a low and outside fastball to left center and it, it wasn't exact. It wasn't a no doubter, per se, but it kind of was. Uh, it wasn't as no doubty as the crazy 482 one or even the first one. But um, muscling that pitch out to left center with that much velocity on it is insane. That is insane strength. Uh, and he is he is so strong. I if I was a media member and I tweeted this, I would love to. I would love to know what his powerlifting splits are uh, what does he bench what does he squat what does he deadlift his legs are huge his arms are jacked he's he's a he's a strong dude and i can't talk enough about how much he probably lifts because look at the home runs he's putting up man it's insane uh his stat cast page is amazing right now hit 91st in average exit 91st percentile in average exit velocity 96th percentile in hard hit percentage uh 89th percentile in max exit velocity i mean Oh, is ch- like seventy fifth percentage in chase rate. Like he really is, uh, spitting on bad pitches this year, which again is a step in the right direction to becoming a average big league player. Uh, and he's he's basically. It seems like this offseason he took the right steps to like I said last year or last week. Uh, he's looked more like a normal major league player. Like clearly this offseason he put in so much work to come up and prove. Not necessarily the doubters. I don't think anyone in the Mariners necessarily has doubted him up until this point because we know how much work he's put in. I think this was the season where if he does what he did last year and the year before, then there's major doubt. There's definitely some doubt before, but there was still optimism because he's still 23. Uh, I still think the COVID year um, really screwed up his development a lot more than a lot of a lot of guys uh, he just hit that at a really tough time in his in his baseball career, uh, but yeah, he's, he's he just looks like a major league player. But now he's taken it this past week to extreme heights, um, looking like a major league player at the plate. He again, he's taking bad pitches. He's working the count. He looks somewhat confident in the confident in the batter's box. He is swinging at pitches in the middle of the zone. He's hitting the pitches in the middle of the zone at a good rate. Uh, but he's taken that and been like, okay, I can also hit baseballs 500 feet to dead center, uh, which not a lot of guys can do. And we're seeing the upside, the prospect upside that wasn't promised, but former, you know, top blue chip prospect. We're seeing why we're seeing this ceiling of a guy who can hit balls that hard and play good defense in the outfield. We're seeing that. I don't think he's obvious. I don't think he's going to put up these kind of stats the whole year. Uh, but boy, is it awesome to see him at the top of like slugging leaderboards right now. It's it's amazing. Uh, and yeah, he's still only 23. It's only his third year in the bigs. Um, Scott said in the post game interview today, he's super happy for him. But everyone, everyone's path is different, and it's important to stay grounded. Uh, he said the team is really grounded, but it's more important. I think. Obviously, for him to stay grounded, but the fans, I think the fans need to stay grounded here. I think everyone can step back for a second and look 
and be like, this is amazing, but we know he's more than likely not going to keep up this type of production all year. I would be willing to bet he won't keep up an OPS that starts with a one uh, and four digits. I'm, he's not going to give up a thousand OPS or more all year. There's almost no way. Um, so I think it's important to stay grounded as fans, but it's also good to get excited because we're seeing we're seeing the the guy that we the, the main guy we got back in the Cano Diaz trade. We're seeing it as we imagined it when that trade went through, right? And again, uh, the numbers will go down a little bit, but it's so encouraging because. Again, like if it was like a rookie, even if he was a, if he was like a not a blue chip prospect or anything, and he's doing this, I would look at it similar similarly to kind of how I looked at like what Joey Manises did last year in his small sample, where it's like I don't a hundred percent trust that, and I don't hundred percent trust to the extent of what Jared Kelnick is doing. But like I said, we've never seen him have a stretch like this. So even if he's a streaky player, which I think he could be, if his stre- if his good stretches are like this, then we'll take whatever the bad stretches are. If the good stretches are him playing like this, because we've never seen him play this well. We've never, ever seen him light the world on fire like he has this past week. Uh, and I'll, t- I'll freaking take that if he's going to be a, a streaky guy who his heights are like this. Uh, I think... Also, the pitch clock is helping him a little bit, honestly. He's had less time to just be in his head in the batter's box and, like, just thinking about shit in the batter's box. He has less time. He just has to go up there and hit. He has to go up there. He has to trust his mechanics. He has to trust his approach. He has to trust himself. He just has to go up there and hit, and that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Uh, he's, I mean, he's been described as, like, a baseball robot. Like, all he wants to do is get better. He works so hard to get better. All he wants to do is play good baseball. And when it's not going well, like we can tangibly see how much that affects him. I mean, we see him strike out and we see how mad he gets at himself because all he wants to do is play good baseball. And obviously when it's going poorly, it goes really poorly for him. Uh, But when it's going well, it's going fantastic. And he's just going to keep working at it. He's never, I wouldn't ever strike. He doesn't strike me as a guy who would get complacent at all in, uh, in anything that he does. So that is, that's the Jared Kelnick spiel. I mean, it's just been awesome. It's just been the past 10 games, his hitting streak, the whole start of the year, been great to watch. It's been awesome for him. But again, I, you know, I warn, stay grounded. Uh, This is a crazy good stretch. Um, And I hope if he has a bad stretch, uh, a bad stretch of 10 games where he doesn't hit a home run, he doesn't do much. We remember this stretch of games and, and be like, he might just be, a type of streaky player, or he might just win MVP this year. You know, I mean, wh- who's to say what will really happen with Jared Kelnick this year? But, um, like the uh, like the the only other thing I will say is the strikeout percentage is still pretty high. But realistically, I do see him as a higher strikeout guy. But that won't matter really that much if he's putting up like a good amount of home runs every year and solid defense in the corner outfield spots. Uh, Cause like so far this year, and again, the small sample applies to his bad. So the, his strikeout percentage could improve this year, but the walk percentage is similar to last year's, but the strikeout percentage is down 
about 3%, but it's still at 30%, so really high. But I think he's he's a, more of a three-true outcome player um, than maybe we expected of him coming up as a prospect. But that and the sample size are really the only things I can point to and be like, well, that those are the negatives, I guess. But then you look at the positives, and it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm just trying. I'm trying with all my might to not now think of him as this type of player until I've seen more until I've seen more because I'm not just going to get my hopes up and be like, we have our starting left fielder for the next 10 years. I I'm trying not to, it's hard to not get excited after watching him do what he did this past week, especially the home runs, dude, the home runs are insane. I cannot believe he hit a ball to the third deck of center field at Wrigley. The like the wind was blown out a little bit. Uh, screw that. That is insane. That is that's ridiculous. It's insane power. <laughs> and the uh, the Goldie call was awesome, but the Chicago Cubs broadcast their broadcast was better. They were just they were just speechless for a little bit and and just said, "Wow." And it was like JD. I don't I don't think I've ever seen a ball hit up there before. And he's like, "Nope, haven't." That is insane. Yeah, it is. It is. But he's ours. He's our Jared Kelnick. And he's, you know, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say he's arrived, but he's on the way. He is on the way. And this is just fantastic to watch, especially uh, all of the questions going into the offseason about and going into this season about left field, and he's like, screw it. Screw platoons. I'm not a platoon outfielder. I can hit both sides of the plate. That's another thing I didn't even mention. He had a home run off a lefty. He has four straight hits against lefty pitching. Uh, again, very small sample, but like maybe now it's he might just start versus every pitcher. I still think they're going to try to keep him pretty righty heavy and it's not super hard to do that but very encouraging that he's looking pretty competent ish against left-handed pitching i mean that's that's a good sign for the future everything he's done this past couple these past couple weeks has been a good sign for the future what a joy to watch what a good start to the year for him especially his confidence wise been amazing and i that's i could talk more about Kelnick, but I won't. I won't. That's the Jared Kelnick update in the Jared Kelnick episode of the Jared Kelnick Seattle Mariners season of 2023, as it will be known when the Mariners won the World Series on the backs of Jared Kelnick putting up a 1200 OPS in one of the best seasons since Barry Bonds. And with that, what are the other Mariners doing? Um, well, Colton Long has an OPS plus of negative nine, so that's something, right? He's been dreadful for as good as Kalnick's been. Oh, man, Colton Long. I mean, the small sample applies here, as it does to Kalnick. Very small sample will likely not hit this poorly the rest of the year, but for a new player on a new team, this is a god-awful start. Could not be worse. I mean, he's hitting 098 208 on base percentage and an 098 slugging and for anyone who doesn't know if your slugging is the same as your batting average that means you've only hit singles and walked 
uh, with your OBP higher than that. So he has yet to have an extra base hit. Again, his OPS is 306. OPS plus is negative nine. It's just been awful. Um, it's not even like he's having amazing at bats. I mean, he's had some good at bats, but some of them have just been yeesh, and he looks frustrated. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not pressing the panic button on Colton Wong yet. I'm really not. Uh, but it, you couldn't really ask for a worse start to your Mariners' career than this, uh, especially. Since the bar was so low, the second base bar for the Mariners has been insanely low. I mean, ever since Cano left, it's been dreadful. And really, um, Adam Frazier last year was like, well, Colton Wong can't be any worse than Adam Frazier, right? Well, he's dreadfully worse for the first uh, two, three weeks of the season so far. So uh, that is, um, ugh, it's just tough to see. But I'm not. I'm not pressing the panic button. All right? I'm not. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not gonna press the panic button. But like we're 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 getting there. I'll ch- I'll check. We'll check back in like another. You know, we'll check back in in first or second week of May and then see what he's doing. All right. In terms of the rest of the offense, has really uh, come alive recently, which is good. The bats have have woken up. Teoscar Hernandez has woken up and is hitting uh, like we expected him to. Uh, ball jumps off his bat, had a few homers last week. Uh, he's looked great in the outfield. Surprisingly, he has, uh, let me find this. He's fifth, according to baseball reference, in defensive war, which is kind of insane. Uh, J.P. Crawford is ninth with .4 defensive war, too. But Teoscar, you know, we got him for his hitting. Didn't know he was going to be a gold glove right fielder. Uh, but he looks more like Teoscar. I mean, I wasn't worried. Anyone who was worried um, is a casual fan. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't look great, but we we knew he was he was gonna be fine. I mean, the track record speaks for itself, and we can see why um, he's been one of the best hitters in the league. He is aggressive with his swings, and when he hits the ball, uh, he hits the ball real real hard. Uh, Eugenio, great start to the year. Julio, and, you know, not a very Julio start to the year, better than last year's start to the year, and then what he did in May was in, May on was insane, so maybe he's just not an April guy. Uh, not an April guy, but still better than last April, and, and still a, a good hitter to start the year. The strikeouts are a little much for my liking, but, well, he's fine. he'll be fine. Looks good in the field. Looks good. On the base path, he'll be fine. Uh, just hasn't been as, like, amazing, I guess. Hasn't been as top 10 player in the league like he was for a good part of the year last year. But, yeah, I mean, it's April 16th. So, once once May hits, he'll be like, oh, okay, I got to start doing stuff. Uh, Ty France continues to have great, great, great hitting, great Ty Franciness up there at the plate. Loves to get hit. He's gotten hit a few times these last two days. Loves his elbow guard. Uh, he's he's the prototypical example of he stands close to the plate, but not as close as like Rizzo. Like Rizzo is an expert at getting hit with the ball. Part of it is because he stands as close to the plate as humanly possible. Ty France does stand close, not quite as close, but he's like a textbook example of he has the elbow guard. And any pitch that's up and in, and it helps that he's a little short, but any pitch that's up and in, he doesn't really lean out of the way, but he doesn't lean into it. 
he just kind of turns his body, exposes the left elbow with the guard, and just boop, get hit. I'll take first base, please. Thank you. That he's he's so good at it, uh, and that elbow guard is there for a reason. And the past two games, he's gotten hit in that elbow guard specifically, and it's hilarious because it's just like, okay, I'll take first. Uh, one of the more hit guys in the league, and he's an expert at it. You can see why. He's one of the most hit guys in the league. Uh, what else? What else with the Mariners, y'all? I mean, Cal Raleigh looks looks like Cal Raleigh. His his at bats have impressed me this year. Um, but towards the end of last year, you could tell the kind of work they did with him to kind of fit the prototype of the rest of the Mariners hitters. Where you know, top down the lineup is good, but even like the bad guys on the lineup will still, um, for the most part, give you pretty good at bats at the plate. And that's all you can really ask for. Uh, but Cal's at-bats have really impressed me because he doesn't necessarily need to put amazing at-bats up. Like, he waits for that pitch in zone, and he clobbers it. And he's still doing that a little bit this year. But uh, working the counts has been more impressive to start the year this year from him. The production we're getting out of the DH spot is just right about what I expected. Uh, Cooper Hummel's been dreadful. AJ Pollock has not been very good. Uh, Tom Murphy is not DHing, but another guy who started the year very, very slow. But I'm not worried about Tom Murphy. I mean, he didn't play; he hasn't played baseball in a while. And I think as the year progresses, hopefully he starts to hit a little bit better. Uh, and then other DH like Tommy Estella has been awful. He'll he'll be DFA'd very soon. I mean, it's like not anything out of the ordinary. It's not surprising the DH spot isn't producing anything. Like, even with the arrival, every fan on Twitter will tell you the arrival of Jerry Kelnick, and he's him and all that. It's like, we still need uh, DH, and I still am very much in the camp of, I don't care how good Kelnick is, even uh, going into the year, didn't expect this good, but I don't care how good he is. They still should have signed another corner outfielder. Uh, to at least DH a little bit too, or have Kelnick DH or something, and have it not be AJ Pollock, or I have talk. I can't do this again. It makes me frustrated with the off season again. It just reminds me. It gives me flashbacks. But the DH spot is like the massive hole in this lineup, and it's not surprising. It's it's like everyone expected this. Of course, your DH is going to be a black hole in the lineup when your DHs are AJ Pollock, Cooper Hummel. And Tommy Lestella. Like, come on. It's it's terrible. It's a huge glaring issue. And an issue I talked about in the offseason where, and in the preview, where this lineup is pretty good. Even with, like, again, even with what Jared Kelnick is doing, I still think they're one more, they're one more impact bat. They're one more middle of the lineup bat away from being a very, very serious contender. And I still think that, and it's obviously very true with the DH struggles we've seen so far. So, not encouraging start to uh, Cooper Hummel's Mariners career or Tommy Lestella's. AJ Pollock's at least looked somewhat competent at the plate. And it's not like they have anyone in the wings right now, prospect or just like minor league players they can put there. Like if they DFA'd Tommy Lestella. Like, who else is on the 40-man right now 
that could be called up and actually make an impact from the DH spot. Like Jose Caballero was just called up, made his debut, which is very fun to see, but I don't think he's going to be very productive if they put him in the DH spot. Uh, I guess when Taylor Trammell comes back from his injury, like maybe you put him at DH and hopefully he gives you more than he did at the plate last year. Um, I don't know if they're ready to call up Cade Marlowe. He's on the 40-man. Like, Jonathan Classe is on the 40-man, but he's not ready to get called up. And even if, like, Cade Marlowe was putting up great numbers at Tacoma, I still wouldn't feel very confident about calling him up and being like, okay, you, you're in the DH spot now. You better hit. I just don't think he'll do that. And, I get, like, Dylan Moore, hopefully, will be back soon. And with him back, maybe you can... And even with Haggerty back now, too, you can play one of them in left field and DH Kelnick. I mean, you wouldn't with the defense he's playing. That's the funny thing is you don't... Right now, with the defense that both Teoscar and Kelnick are playing, and obviously Julio's the center fielder, the DH, the the spot, doesn't just fall to Teoscar or Kelnick at the moment with the defense that they're playing. I would have expected it to. Uh, I would expect Kelnick's defense to play better long-term than... Teoscar's, but I would have assumed Teoscar would would be in the DH spot more, and then you put Haggerty or Moore in the corners, and that kind of solved your issue, because Moore and Haggerty are at least, we've seen them be more competent at the plate than than, uh, La Stella and Cooper Hummel and Adrian Pollock, I guess, but I don't know. It's a problem. It's a real issue, and I don't know how they're going to address it. But we'll see, I guess. I don't know. Jerry DePoto's always got some random random trade up his sleeve. Uh, maybe Tyler O'Neill is unsettled in the Cardinals organization. And he wants out. And he wants to come back to Seattle. For Marco Gonzalez. No, I'm just kidding. That'd be funny. Let's let's do the reverse trade, huh? Uh, that's I'm done talking about the offense. The pitching has been... Honestly, the pitching's been slightly disappointing to start the year. I guess from expectation to what the actual production is, it's been a little disappointing. Luis Castillo has not been. He's been uh, a proving that he is an AL Cy Young candidate, a leading AL Cy Young candidate. He's thrown 24 and two-thirds innings this year, struck out 26, walked four, gave up two runs. He took a perfect game into the seventh inning today. Uh, lost in the seventh. Felix Hernandez still reigns supreme. Sorry, Luis. Would have been cool, but uh, I would like Felix to be the last perfect game haver uh, forever, to be honest with you. But uh, he's been fantastic. He's, oh, God. I tweeted out that it's a spiritual experience watching him pitch, and it, it is. It's just so, it makes me tingle when I watch him pitch, man. Uh, Logan's looked good. George Kirby's looked a little, uh, not George Kirby-ish. Um, well, I mean, he's throwing lots of strikes still, but he's a lot more base runners than I think probably expected. But with pitchers, again, I have, I have an even longer leash sample size-wise with pitchers. Like, uh, after 10 starts, maybe I'll, I'll be like, I'm worried about George Kirby. But he's looked a little uncharacteristic, but still a good pitcher. Uh, had a pretty solid outing the other day. Uh, Chris Flexen looked okay I guess he got I mean like I talked about earlier he got mopped by uh the Cubs <laughs> and Marco's actually looked solid he's looked very 
Marco Gonzalez to start the year, where the raw numbers don't drop off, jump off the page, but he's got an ERA plus of 105. He just had a kid too. Congratulations to Marco. Uh, hopefully he comes back from paternity. He pumping 97. He's just got newfound dad strength. He's now a power pitcher. He's throwing 96 mile an hour cutters now. That'd be amazing. Won't happen, but uh, you know, having a kid, man. It's helped athletes in the past. So, and people think Marco is like the worst pitcher in the league. So, uh, in, if you're one of those people, he just had a kid. So, be encouraged. Uh, we got four and two thirds solid innings from Tommy Malone the other day. Very Mariners move to call up Tommy Malone for a spot start and have him put up very solid numbers in, in limited innings. And that was just funny. That, like, there was so much Jared Kelnick hype again that day because he hit another home run. Uh, but then Tommy Malone silently puts up four and two thirds on his way to a victory. Uh, just or not a victory, but a uh, a no decision. But he helped us win that game by uh, come on four and two thirds solid innings from Tommy Malone. How long is he going to be able to do this? How long is Jerry Depoto going to be able to get away with having Tommy Malone? taxi from Tacoma to Seattle every so often every season like come on how how does it keep happening and how does it keep going well the bullpen has looked good I'll say uh Diego Castillo I'm a little concerned about Diego Castillo to be quite honest with you uh he lit the world on fire last year to start the year and really not he wasn't awful to end the year but he wasn't good his numbers were bad to end the year. Uh, so going into the offseason, it was like he had a good numbers on the whole and was very, very solid and very helpful in a lot of wins up until the All-Star break. And then really, like September, October, just didn't quite look like himself. And he's looked like that to start the year this year. And I'm a little worried about him, to be to be honest. I'm, I'm more worried about relievers, like older relievers who the older veteran relievers who start to not you know maybe lose their stuff because it just happens to relievers so I'm a little I'm a little more like sample size wise like ooh I don't know he just hasn't looked good like I don't even the numbers are bad but in the five and two-thirds innings he's thrown he just hasn't looked good like at all uh but for as much as he hasn't looked good and like Munoz is on the on the I.L. Um, Festa looked bad and, and is in Tacoma now. Gabe Spire has looked fantastic in, uh, the limited innings we've seen him in. Looks like, uh, I was clamoring for a free agent lefty reliever signing and they gave me, um, random Gabe Spire in the bullpen who's been great and is the lefty in the bullpen that they need and hopefully he continues this throughout the year. Uh, Trevor got uh, the loan free agent acquisition for this team for the longest time in the offseason. Has looked very solid. Uh, Justin Topo's got nasty stuff. I had no idea he had uh, this type of sinker-slider combo because I didn't know much about Justin Topo, but he gets like six inches of vertical run, uh, vertical drop on that sinker more than average, which is insane. Uh, a classic, classic 2020s era reliever. Crazy sinker, crazy slider. Throws those 40% of the time each and has looked solid. So with you know, 
they have to be proactive about the bullpen. Every team does because you have like random. We've seen like Craig Kimbrell and Kenley Jansen, two of the best relievers of the past decade. We've seen them have seasons where they look amazing, then they look terrible, then they look amazing, then they look terrible. That's just how relievers are. And so the team being able to, Jerry DePoto and the organization, being able to find these cheap relievers and turning them into solid contributors in the bullpen is such a big strength. I tweeted about this, but if that's a big strength of yours, lean on that. And they have. They're proactive about it. They don't just say we had a good bullpen last year. We're going to roll with the same dudes. Like I know you lost a couple guys, but it's like Spire got and Topa are great examples of this season. Like no one, I mean, you say that to most people, no one knows who those guys are, but they look like long-term this season, at least good pieces in the bullpen. And, and Paul Seawald is, I tweeted this too. The magnum opus of Jerry Poto is, is bullpen findings like what a turnaround career-wise Paul Seawalt's had since being on the Mariners and he's the closer looks like this year with Munoz on the IL and he's looked great in that role uh Penn Murphy has continued to uh continued what he did last year and Matt Brash has looked good not mm, no he's, he's looked good he's uh he really is a great reliever I think he's looked a little shaky at times to start this season, but overall body of work so far has been pretty solid and it's nothing is nothing is alarming with him. It's uh, still a decently high walk rate, but the stuff is still there. Like the spin rates haven't changed much. The velocity hasn't changed much. So he's fine. But that, that is, that's the pitching update. I'm not super worried about this pitching staff. Uh, it's just been a little not what we expected from Kirby, and like Ray hits the IL, so now they gotta throw Flexen, and Flexen looked terrible against the Cubs, but I'm sure he's he's all right, he's fine, he'll still eat some innings, and uh, you know, if they ever need a spot start from Tommy Malone, he's he, he's just an hour away in Tacoma, depending on the time of day you're driving to go to Tacoma, but uh, I think. I'll say it. I think this team is pretty good. They're back at 500. They're playing the at least the past few days. It looks like they're playing competent baseball, fundamentally sound baseball. And that is very encouraging. That's very encouraging. Uh, I'm, I'm wrapping up here. I don't have much else to say besides um, some MLB stuff. The Rays finally lost. And uh, the only other thing I want to say about the MLB, I mean, a lot of stuff happened, but I'm running this little long. This is a Mariners podcast anyway. Uh, Fernando Tatis hit another home run today in AAA. He's hit like eight now in his rehab assignment. That is just rude. It's just mean. Uh, I am all for rehab assignments and seeing amazing players play in the minors. But isn't this enough? Like, after the first, like, week where he hit, like, four home runs, couldn't you just be like, okay, just come to San Diego, you know, hang out with the team, work out, hit off the tee, hit off the machine. What is the purpose of having him just rake against AAA pitching down there? I think it's just rude. They should have, they should have, like, are they, he, so he's eligible to come back in four days on 420. Nice, by the way. He's eligible to come back. 
And I'm just, it's full we're four days out. I'm so surprised he's still down there raking and they're letting him do that. I just feel so bad for those pitchers that have to face him. Because what are you, what are you, what are you to do as a minor league pitcher and you're facing Fernando Tatis? Like, good Lord, man. But that is it for this podcast, the Jerry Kelnick episode. Uh, your Mariners are 500. Like I said, they have the Brewers and the Cardinals to finish out this homestand. That is a very tough homestand. Uh, just a brutal, brutal end to this month too. Uh, so next week I'll record another podcast, but I'm intrigued to see what the team's record is come May 1st because they're playing some real, real good baseball teams. These next four series is and, uh, but they're playing good baseball. They're playing good baseball and they're at home for half of it. So Intrigued to see what we will get. Intrigued to see how long Kelnick can keep up his hot streak of just being a fantastic baseball player. And I'm excited to continue to watch him come into his own as a Seattle Mariner. Like we've all wanted. We've all wanted to see for years now Julio and Kelnick raking together. And we honestly haven't seen that this year together. We've seen them separately rake in games. I want to see a game where they both hit a home run in the same game. Uh, will that ever happen? You know, laws of the universe state? No. Uh, it won't. But uh, I want it to happen. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, but that's it. That is it for this podcast. Thank you for listening. Do all the things I always tell you to do. Or don't. You know, you don't have to do those things. You are legally required to do them, and I will come after you. But you still have free will. So do what you want. But thanks for listening. And I will catch you next week. And, of course, go Mariners and go Jared Kelnick.